Honey, uh, it's nice to be here. I want to thank Steve and Guy for having me along. Uh, this is just terrific. I was on that flight from hell. And, uh, but I understand Paul sucked all the sympathy out of the room last night. <laughs> he came in here and sniveled and whined, and you got, oh, he's good at that. He's my role model for that. I always tell Paul that that's my favorite part of his story when he's confined giving orders and they're following them. I, I don't think that's a character defect. That thing is, I'd actually like to have that, you know, to be confined somewhere and tell people what to do, and they're doing it. So, I'll try not to tell you. Actually, the, the, the moment, the, the deepest rung of hell in that trip was that, you know, the, the plane was broken, and we were going, and we're sitting on the plane, and so then they decided to be nice and give us a movie. It was in French. <laughs> you know, it starts, and it's in French. Uh, well, maybe it's a French camp. It's a, no, it just kept going on in French. <laughs> I thought, we really are in hell. And... The thing you have to be careful when you're sober a while is every, well, you get sober a minute, and everything becomes a metaphor for sobriety. It's a sunny day, the sunny days are like sobriety, it's a cloudy day, cloudy days are like, it's an ocean cruise, ocean cruises are like sobriety. This one was, this, this little metaphor for sobriety was, one day you can be sober and everything can go wrong. And drinking looks good. <laughs> the people in first class who can drink through this really have a good trip. <laughs> They did. First class drank all the booze up, and so when we finally took off, they didn't have enough time to restock it, and so they had to fly the rest of the flight without any alcohol, which was fun watching the sober up. So, it's just in the trip. Sometimes you just go. I understand those people who go, no, no, I don't go anywhere. I just stay home. I just stay home. Go to my meeting and come right home. Don't even go to coffee afterwards. I go right home. I am sure that in about an hour or two, uh, I'll forget all about that. Uh, most of it's gone away. I don't know how. I, I was thought Steve and Guy were really tough last night making Paul talk. I don't know how. And then, I'm really impressed that Paul could talk and make sense. <laughs> I couldn't. And if I was listening, it wouldn't have mattered. I would just sound like what my wife sounded like last night and the waiter and everybody else. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it's not within one of those time frames where something happened and then I realized it happened. So, we'll get on with it. Uh, my Friday date's May 25th, 1979. And, uh, I will tell you I haven't been close to a drink. Now, uh, that's not everybody's story. I know a lot of people in AA that get very thirsty a lot of the time. Uh, and I know people who every once in a while have that come in. And I, you know what? I may have it tomorrow. I can just tell you that uh, in the time I've been sober, drinking certainly has never really been very close to being an, uh, an option for me. Other things have homicide, suicide, pouring gasoline on my head, lighting it, uh, all sorts of things. Killing my sponsor, not having a sponsor, doing all of those things, quitting AA, resigning. There was, there was a guy down in Hilton Head, North Carolina, who, uh, he, uh, <laughs> he's still around anymore. He decided, he says in his pitch that usually when people quit AA, they just stop going to meetings. He decided he was resigned. He called a business meeting on Hilton Head to resign. Tender his resignation. I, I really never thought of that too much. I'm one of those really stupid, lame people who love meetings from the gate. I came in here and these people were talking about stuff. I just had never heard anybody talk about. And I came home, I came in that, that meeting in Columbia, South Carolina in 1979. There was nothing else to do in Columbia, South Carolina, in 1979. You weren't going to drink. Turn yourself in. Call A and A. And you know when you call A and A and you're going to surrender, you want somebody to be. You, what you really want is an out a pre-alanon. You want is a, a co-alcoholic with no recovery because you're going to turn yourself in. And you want somebody. Oh baby, come on down. Yeah, if you're sick, it's a little sticky. Come. I got John, a retired sergeant major. Hello. What do you want? <laughs> well, when is the meeting here today? Quick. <laughs> Which, if, if you've ever been to Columbia, South Carolina, you know there's a little place there called Fort Jackson, which is
which is a basic training center, which means that all of the old-timers are retired sergeant majors with a seventh-grade education. And they just love little white college-educated boys like myself. They never had feelings. They don't see why you should have them. I remember, I still, I mean, an AA is so stupid. I mean, it is. It just, and it works so well. That, 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 uh, you, you, we pay money to people like me to give you all these deep meanings, and then you come to AA, and in two sentences, they get you straight. I remember, I have no idea what I shared, and I'm one of those people who always like to talk. Uh, I'm one of those people that doesn't think there's a thing called too much attention. <laughs> if there's any attention left, I need it. It's like drinking. Like too much drinking. I don't know what that means. And I don't know what I shared that day, but I was in my first year, and, and somebody was, I shared something, and some, some little seventh-grade educated retired sergeant major came up and put his little bony finger in my chest and said, Steve, it's your, it's your mother's fault, you're drinking wine, she's waking up sick. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden you go, yeah, that's true, why isn't she? That's not right. Maybe, maybe I do have something to do with it. And uh, I, there's a guy in uh, San Diego, Ken D, he tells a story about he and his sponsor went to make up. A 12-step call, and this, this guy was living in an oil barrel. Not not just an oil barrel, like one that comes off the tanker. And they went to make this 12-step call, and the guy and he had to crawl up a ladder to go down to see this guy. And so the sponsor was a little old, so Ken starts to go up the ladder, and the sponsor went, hey, knock first. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, this is this man's home. Now, that's the kind of stuff in AA I love, because that guy just taught more about respect, more about compassion. For another human being than, than any number of those infomercials we see on late at night when you have the insomnia. I, I lie though. I, I lie to a lot of guys. I sponsor. I, I was told in AA there are no lies. That's a lie. <laughs> I have to know the reason to lie. I lie. I lie all the time. People will call me and they call me and, and, and they'll go, you know, blah, blah, me, 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 that little newcomer black hole of sobriety that they are. You know, they won't invite me to the party. I don't want to go to me, 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 my, 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 And if you're new, everybody in this room, regardless of what kind of guru they are today, was like that at one time. And scratch them deep enough, they can become that again. Alcoholics Anonymous is the most rigid organization on the face of the earth. And we don't like to think of that, do we? You know, we don't, we don't. We like to think we're kind of bohemian and cool and we kick back. That's when we were drinking. If you don't think we are, I just encourage you to join your inner group, GSO. Just get on your picnic committee and say something like this to them. You know, why don't we move the picnic tables over there this year? It will get deadly silent. And then one of the oldest of the old timers will go, son, we don't move the picnic tables at the founders group. Bill Wilson sat on that picnic table right there. You might want to just keep those liberal ideas to yourself. <laughs> We're doing just fine without you, son. See, being at almost 20, I'm not an old-timer. I'm just in the old-timer training program. Teach you to say things like, you didn't have 12 steps when I got sober at 39. Didn't go on cruises. We just had robots. <laughs> didn't drink coffee. We just had fungus. It was a hard program when I got sober. This guy, I tell that because, because actually it was at a lock and young, a different lock and young meeting where they, 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 this woman, they were giving out chips and they said, anybody with 30 days? And this woman was very nice and obviously codependent as well as alcoholic went, I, I don't have 30 days, I have 29, can I take a chip? You would have thought she farted. 
you make a chip, you'll go blind. You'll just play, you'll come down, and you'll die if you make a chip one second early, you know. And these are people that went out for a pack of cigarettes in uh, March, didn't come back to Halloween, but God forbid. God forbid this woman take a chip one second early. <laughs> You might want to reconsider this sobriety thing. <laughs> Without the steps, we can get very strange. <laughs> and, and I told that story, and the guy came up to me, and he said, this is a true story. He was, on, he was in a club, it was a clubhouse, I guess, and they were having a business meeting, and they're trying to work the traditions into whether they should have a soda machine or not in the clubhouse. And they had debated this all day long. And finally, they come to the resolution that, that they should have a soda machine. And just to mess with them, this guy raised his hand and said, Mr. Chairman, there is one issue here we have not solved, and it's very important. The chairman went, what? He said, I like Pepsi. <laughs> and the guy came up out of the chair almost strangling. He said, you know, it's going to be another three days. Coke, Pepsi, Coke, Pepsi. Well, Bill wasn't like Coke, yeah, but I like Pepsi. Back <laughs> in New York, back in New York. I remember I heard the guy, uh, my very first meeting, the guy that wrote the Professor in the Paradox chair, and he, he shared that, uh, that he, the only thing we'd agree on was being we were alcoholic and we were going to fight about everything else. I, I don't know about you. That's one of the great blessings for me in AA because I believe in being in a home group. I've had the whole, same home group. I had one home group for 14 years. I've had another home group for the next five. Uh, I would change AA from Alcoholics Anonymous to does not play well with others anonymous if I could. Uh, we're the group of people, for the most part, went into kindergarten, grabbed the teacher by the neck and said, all right, I'm in charge now. You give me the cookies and the bankies, nobody gets hurt. So we had all the blankets, all the toys, the uh, three drug addicts were in the back, crushing up the cookies, mixing them with other things. <laughs> uh, so we got the cookies, the blankets, and we're selling them bad cookies to have all the toys, and we wonder, why doesn't anybody like them? I mean, it was a great inventory for me to go back and read all my report cards. And so, to come in and learn how to be a worker among worker, a friend among friends, learn how to be in the spotlight, out of the spotlight. To, to be a copy maker, the secretary, to do all those roles and to learn how to get along with people that on any given day can be very ill. <laughs> I mean, I don't know where you got a meeting, but that's the way it is in California. It's a really a great blessing because in my family, if you didn't get along, if we don't get along, that's it. I never talk to you again. That's it. You are done. You are dead. You are out. I love you, but I will never talk to you again. And I came to realize not a few years ago in the dishonesty part of the fourth column of the fourth step where it says, you know, what have we been selfish, dishonest, so thinking, which I love because there's just not that many character defects I can have. Right? There's only a few. I'm selfish. Mine. You can't have it. Mine. All mine. I don't even know what they are, but I'm not giving you any. Self-seeking. All right, you can have one. But if I give it to you, someday I will, someday I will come to you. <laughs> and I will say... <laughs> Do me this favor. And if you say no, I'm going to say something like, after all I did for you. Oh, a few of those over here. Amen. There you go. <laughs> Self-seeking. I, I had a guy show me that one time. This was many years ago. The woman I was with was abusing me. And so I went to a meeting, and I called up a buddy I was sponsoring to, to meet me. And I'd listened to him, you know, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning. So we, But it was one of those date meetings. It was the Dickens meeting on Friday night in L.A. It was a date meeting. So I'm sitting there going, she doesn't, he doesn't, I'm, 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 he's going, oh, yeah, that's really tough, Steve. Yeah, 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 that's really a problem, Steve. Yeah, yeah I, I really, I mean, I mean, my head went off. After all I did for him, and I don't know about how your higher power works, but sometimes my higher power just takes a two-by-four and hits me upside the head and goes, boom, Steve, you got paid for everything you did for that man. You stayed sober. So I, I know that I, I'm incapable of unconditional love. Uh, 
the best I can do is rationally selfish love. Uh, my love always has strings attached to it. What I've learned in AA is that if I get cleaned out and become a channel, the unconditional love can flow through me. And that if I, what I find is my agenda. If I stay sober long enough, I'm going to find out what my agenda is for my wife, for this cruise, for my home group, for everybody else. And sometimes my agenda ain't God, and then I get a choice whether I'm going to cut my agenda and stay or leave. Uh, I honestly believe the difference between somebody else who joined May 25th, 1979, and me, and they didn't say what they had an agenda, and one day, they just weren't willing to give it up. Just not willing to give it up. I have digressed from, I think I started this with, I lie. Can we go back to that now? You guys remember? We <laughs> I lie. Okay. Now, because I know, I know there's some of you out there going, he said he lied, and then he never explained why. Well, people call me up, and they'll go, go, they'll go, you know me, they don't, and then I'll go read page 12. I don't know what's on 12. It just came to my mind. Read page 12. Call me back. Half hour later. Thanks, Steve. Page 12. God has saved my life. <laughs> Just what I needed to hear. So let me read 12. i got to find out what I said. <laughs> in case I want to quote myself in a meeting. <laughs> then I'll find a new cover. I like to stock newcomers. And sometimes I'll find one. Not one I'm sponsoring. Just find one. And I'll, I'll look at one. I'll go, how much time you got? I'll go, 25 days. That's great. 35 days you get a gift. I go, really? Yeah, I said, 30, right, sit right here out. Really? How do you know my address? I go, we know. We know. <laughs> it messes with their paranoia a little bit. And I won't see them for a while. They have like 65, 70 days. They'll come up to me and go, hey, Steve, where's my gift? I go, oh, well, we met, moved that up. It's, it's 120 days. You get addressed 120 days. I played this out to six months ago. Finally come to me. I know what the gift is, Steve. It's sobriety, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Right here. But I, I don't know about the old timers you hung out with, but the ones I knew, they would lie to you up one side and down another. They'd tell you when it was going to get better when they had no idea. <laughs> better or worse, if they just thought it would buy you two seconds of not taking a drink and two, two seconds later, you might consider, you know what, drinking's not going to be And so I hope that you have found or continue to find or if you haven't found, will refine the home, the spiritual and sober home that uh, I have found in Alcoholic Economy because it is just it has been a place that uh, if I wasn't an alcoholic and knew what I had found here, I think I would want to drink and become one to get here. Uh, it has been the perfect place for me. The other thing that was funny about people wandering in here, because uh, my friend Cookie from Minnesota is here, and they were nice enough to have me at their conference this year. It's a very big conference, about 6,000 people, you know, we get half of them in the room at one time. So then they typed the conference on closed circuit television through the rest of the hotel. Then you go down to your little home and you watch. They have these little home groups. They watch them in their home group. Or you can watch it in your room. It's the only convention you'll ever go to where people say, you want to go to my room and hear the speaker? <laughs> Not a line. You usually hear at conventions, but you will in Minnesota. Yeah, sure. And, uh, and I just was wondering what some guy just in the room, accidentally turning on that channel, would have thought. You know, because we're sitting here uh, about dying and going blind and becoming uh, divorced and everybody's laughing. <laughs> and then we're talking about the kids coming back and getting a job and being happy and everybody's crying. And they go, these are very weird people. <laughs> and then when, when nobody was talking, they'll show the AA movies, you know, like Bill and Lois Do Coffee. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. That was a great movie. Uh, I never understood why if it's just Bill and Lois having coffee, she makes this entire pot of like 14 gallons. <laughs> little strange fact of AA. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, my spiritual grandmother, Alabama, uh, used to say to Steve, when uh, you talk about alcoholism, make sure they understand what you mean by it. Now, I'm just, I'm not one of those speakers you normally hear in AA. Because it seems to me that you have two kinds of speakers in AA. 
as far as your drinking goes. The guys who were tied down in Folsom doing what? That's not me. I'm short, I'm white, in jail, I'm an hors d'oeuvre, I'm not going. <laughs> or then you have the guys that woke up in Reno with a suitcase for a full of $200 million and 12 hookers in the room. That didn't happen either. Yes. So, I, I just sat there in a tip of the hat to Norma, drank myself to death seconds and inches day after miserable day. That's what I did. It's not really that much interesting about my drunk walk. I just sat there and cried hysterically because they missed the word bubblegum on the $20,000 pyramid. Remember how you used to be able to cry when you were drinking? Just guttural animal sounds. And then if you met a buddy, you could cry together. You were like wolves. And then laughing hysterically because Jillian had uh, left Seneca one more time on Ryan's house. That was my drinking. That really, literally was my drink. But what I didn't understand was the thing that you guys taught me when I went to my first meeting. When I got in that car and took that 3,000-mile drive that took about five minutes down to the A&A Club and, and walked in the door, and as I walked in my first meeting, there was a guy named Tim, and Tim had, he was about 35. Now, if I had the 20 questions to do over or ask you, one of the 21st questions would be, if you, do you need to have facts to have an opinion? If, if, if the answer is no, then you're an alcoholic, right? Because I knew all about Alcoholics Anonymous meetings without ever going to one or talking to anybody about one. It was old men sitting on mattresses drinking wine out of bottles. But it was certainly old people. It wasn't a 29-year-old person like myself. Although I have revised that today, I don't think anybody comes into Alcoholics Anonymous young. We all come here old. I don't care if you're 19. You're old. I've seen 19-year-olds get younger by the time they were 30. So I'm walking in this meeting, and Tim, he's got his tennis shirts on, he's about 35, and he looks like he can play tennis, he looks like he's got a life, and he puts his hand out, and he says, all right, I'm Tim, I can't stay for the meeting, but it's going right on inside, go on in. You know, I got sober at a time when you could recognize newcomers. Cocaine has changed the body of the newcomer. Now newcomers look better than old-timers, because they're doing cocaine and working out. You know what I mean? They take something that makes their heart go very fast, and then they take an aerobic class. It's a very strange concept. But when I got sober, when I got sober, you could tell newcomers, because you had big sweat stains under your arms, and you had a big belly and no butt, or a big butt and no belly, and your hands shook like this. I, this is what I did before the Lord's Prayer for the first six months of my sobriety. You know, just wipe your hands off so you won't be too sweaty when you grab these nice things. And then, you know, they'll try to wipe their hands off without you see it after they help you. And Tim looked at me, and he, he, gave, he took put his hand out, and he shook my hand. Now, now Tim and I never became friends. We, we met a couple of times, but that was basically my relationship with Tim. It's 1999, and I'm still talking about that. Because I, 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 I don't think, you know, it's the big things in AA that really matter. I mean, they're great. I've heard some speakers that I can quote you that have changed my life. I, I, I don't think speaking is all that important in AA. It's sort of like being Tony Curtis and Spartacus. <laughs> Yeah, you remember Tony Curtis? I mean, they're, they're, they're like killer, gladiator guys fighting the Roman Empire, and then they ask Tony Curtis, what do you do? And he goes, I'm a singer of songs. And they go, oh, great, that's what we need in a war, a singer of songs. And, he, and they give us the hot lead enema. You can hit the high notes. It's really good. We're glad you're here. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's, it's great. But if I drop dead right now, one of you could push my body over and keep talking. You know what I mean? Any number of you could. It might. It's my chance. <laughs> Even guy are watching. All right, get him out of there. He's okay. He's breathing. We'll take him down to the infirmary, and I'll talk. 
it's, it's the folks that put up the chairs and take down the chairs. It's the coffee. It's all the little things. It's, it's, uh, it's asking the newcomer, how'd that vacation go you were telling me about? And I swear if you do this, two years later they're going to be sitting up sharing somewhere and they're going to go, and, and Bob there, Bob asked me about my vacation. It meant so much. Because I guess that you just can't face the little stuff. You can't face the little, and that somebody cares. I, I've been sober almost 20 years and I've given up on getting well. Now that may not be for you. I've just given up on getting well. My journey is, I am so hacked through my core of my being with some sort of doubt about myself that I know that I simply got to keep coming here because what I do is I get a day or two or three or four where I can feel really good and then I got to come back here because many times what you think about me is far more important to me than what I think about me. I don't know, see these little beats? I went on short of it, right? I'm the kind of guy that if I got shipwrecked on an island and you came back three years later, you wouldn't be able to tell me from the natives. <laughs> I'd have the tattoos, I'd have, I'd look like a native. And then if you brought me back to New York, I'd look like a New Yorker. I just still have that ability to kind of adapt to whatever situation I'm in. And so to come back to AA, and the great thing about AA is you can come back with your failures or your successes. I, I don't know where you live out there, but I have this idea that out there it's only the successes they're interested in. If I shared with them half the stuff I ever shared in AA, they go, yeah, yeah, I gotta go. <laughs> I'm very late for something, but it's, I don't know what it is, but I gotta get away from you. And so, uh, it's the little things that let me know you care, because I have such a hard time today, on a bad day, believing that I can be cared for. I remember I, I was introduced somewhere, and, 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 and somebody went, and here's Steve, he's a great guy. And I was looking around, who are they talking about? Now, this wasn't 30 days or 60 days, this was a 15 to 16 years. And it surprised me. See, I, I always get surprised with that stuff still there. So, Tim, I, I heard a guy share that uh, he was... Uh, he was at a meeting, it was 1969, and they, uh, it was his first meeting, and they gave him a cup of coffee, and he shared, he's not a shaker, he's a jerker, <laughs> so he ended up jerking this cup of coffee and all the old-timers that were with him, <laughs> so they went and got him another cup of coffee, only about half full this time, and he was able to drink it, but he said that was the first unconditionally loving act he had had in his life in a long time, and that was 1969, and I think I heard this guy tell this story in 1996, still telling that story. Uh, it, 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 it is an amazing thing. I love to think of the guys who are taken down the meeting at the end of the meeting. You know, you put the chairs away. You want to go home and see Allie McBeal or something. And, and somebody comes up to you and they look at you and they go, can I talk to you? And you know what that means. Twelve pots of coffee at dinner. Well, they talk about me, 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 my, 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 they, 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 me, 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 step, yeah, 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 I'll get to those, yeah, yeah, but listen to this, me, 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 my, 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 yeah, traditions, I know, I know, no, but listen to this, me, 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 my, 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 I know, I know, I know. <laughs> and what do they do? They go, yeah. One of my heroes is the guy at San Fernando Valley Convention, he's the archivist, he just sits in that room waiting for anybody to come talk, just to tell them about the history of AA. Now, that's a, that's a, that's, you know, that's a great job. So I, I am very happy to be among people like you who do things like that, because that's not the way I was brought up. That's not the way I learned to be. There wasn't anything in it for me. Why do it? And to, to join an organization that talks about give it away. Give it away as fast and as hard as you can. We just finished reading the uh, chapter 12 and 12 and 12 in my home group, and, and I'm always amazed by reading that chapter over and over again, because that chapter basically says, if you work this program, you're going to get, now anytime I hear I'm going to get, my ears pick up. I'm going to get, because I want a reward for this sobriety gift that I've been given. I want a reward. I'm going to get to see other people's families reunite. I'm going to get to see the light come on in another man's eyes. I'm going to get to see other people get stuck. 
And I get happy about that. And I, 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 that's pretty a lame thing to do, but I can tell you before I worked the 12 steps, before I had a spiritual experience, that stuff would not have made me happy and I would have gone. So uh, I, I keep coming around because I just don't know what else you guys are going to do with my life. Uh, and there's no place left to go. I don't know if you know it, but Doc got us in a double bind. I figured this out a couple of years ago. A friend of mine said he wanted to see the newcomers' literature because uh, he always knew they had it. And uh, I thought, literature, yeah, yeah, literature. Uh, we probably had a 12 steps before we came in here. And, and I thought about it, and I did work. It's, yeah, it's double bind is God wins. Oh, what a surprise. Yeah, I always think I'm going to manipulate God. That's like, what you got behind your hands, God? See, oh, nothing, God. I have nothing here. See, there's nothing back there. I mean, I can make caca, he can make butterflies, but I think I'm going to fool it. And so, double bind is God wins. What a surprise. And I realized that I'm going to work a 12-step program, no matter what I do. I'm going to work a 12-step program of alcoholism, or I'm going to work a 12-step program of alcoholics and nuts. And I don't know what the program you worked before you got sober went like, but something that mine went something like this. One, I declared I was in complete control of my drinking, and my life was fine and dandy. Thank you very much. Two, I always knew there was no power greater than myself, but all of you needed to be restored to sanity. Three, turned my will and my life over the care of alcohol because it was the only thing that understood me. Four, made a paranoid and immoral inventory of anybody but me. Five, admit nothing to nobody ever. Six, became entirely willing to have God punish you for all your defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to go bug somebody else. Eight, made a list of all persons who had harmed me and became willing to take revenge upon them all. Nine, took direct revenge whenever possible, especially when to do so would injure them and others. Ten, continued to take your inventory when you were wrong, promptly told you so. Eleven, sought through alcohol and medication to improve my unconscious contact with myself, praying only for what I wanted, when I wanted it, and the power to get it. Well, having achieved spiritual depth as a result of these steps, I tried to carry this message to other alcoholics and take just as many of them with me as I could. Great thing about that program is only one tradition. Do whatever you got to do to get through the night. See, there's a two 12-step programs side by side, and I, the alcoholic, will work one, or I will work the other. What I won't do is not not work the program. By the great Scott Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, people like you and groups like this, I get to choose which, but not if. I didn't know that. And I, I enjoy, I, 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 I like being in that trap because you give me too much leeway and I start thinking. See, the idea that the way you stop drinking is to stop drinking was much too complex a concept for me when I first got sober. I wanted to stop drinking by drinking. Any stupid idiot can stop drinking by not drinking. I want a more profound, deep, bohemian and artistic answer to the drinking problem. I have guys come up to me and they go, Steve, she's mean to me and she doesn't like me and we go out on dates and she won't pay any attention to me and she won't return my call. And it's just, what should I do? Don't go out with her anymore. (laughs) No, that won't work. What did I do? (laughs) I seem to be one of those people. I put my hand on the stove and I go, God, the stove is hot. What should I do? And he goes, take your hand off the stove. What else have you got, guys? <laughs> and then two days later, I forget the stove's hot again. I, I don't know how I came that way. I don't want to be that way anymore, but it seems that uh, I have stopped worrying and surprised about perfectionism. I keep worrying that I'm going to keep doing some of the things that I do over and over again until the day I die. That's what I worry about. Uh, and again, you guys have given me a place that while all of that happens, while I'm on the flight from hell or I'm sitting in paradise, I've got a place to go when it's good, when it's bad, and when it's the worst. It's average. You know? 
how to live an average, which is most of my life. I don't know about yours, but average. So, uh, as I was telling you, Alabama told me that uh, you make sure that I, I make sure you understand what I mean by an alcoholic, and I mean that by an alcoholic that I have an abnormal reaction to the drug ethyl alcohol. That when I take an ounce, two ounces, twelve ounces of ethyl alcohol, when I take that drink and swallow it, and that alcohol goes down my throat and it hits my stomach, that the sun rises, that it paralyzes my legs, that it comes back up and it comes out my fingers, it flushes my face, and every pore in my body goes, uh, it always gets very quiet when I say this. <laughs> you guys are having the uh, experience right there in your room. This is sort of this is sort of like the sober version of phone sex. I mean, it's already. <laughs> guy has woken up. Oh, uh, maybe we could slip out of here and get a little ah uh, before dinner. They'll never notice. It's a cruise ship. Everybody's swaying anyway. Let's have a couple of drinks. We relapse. We can be the newcomer. We can get Paul Clark. Come on, let's go. You know? And and normal people just don't have that reaction. I mean, if, you, if most of you probably don't, but you go out to dinner with some normal people. You're going to go out to dinner in a movie, right? You're going to go out to dinner and see Titanic, which I don't know about. After seeing that movie, that being on the ship brings up all sorts of Titanic fantasies for me. I don't know about you. movie made me angry, though. I can have a good relationship with any woman if I'm going to die that day. You know what I mean? If I'm dying that night, I'm your guy. You know what I mean? I want to see that MOOC five years from now when she wants to buy China and he wants to go ride the wild horses. That's what I want to see. That relationship happen. But no, we don't get to that because he's going to go die on her. But the, 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 you go, you get these folks and you go out to dinner, right? And, and, and then you go to them and you go, look, they go, they look at you because they know you're in the program because you got the circle and triangle around your neck and your ear. You got 37 chips on your belt, just being anonymous. And they look at you and they go, do you mind if I drink? And you look at them and you go, I stopped drinking, the world didn't. Just being humble. And so now these people, these these people, these non-alcoholics you're trying to connect with and be friends with, like in your meetings, if it says something like that in the book, these people that can have anything they want, they say, the waiter comes by, would you like a drink? They go, yeah, it's been a really tough week. Give me a white wine spritz. On the rock. Not, not too much wine, a lot of spritz. You know, they can have kamikaze, kamikaze, Long Island I see a drink I never had. Been, oh, yeah, here's how. <laughs> Thank you so much. Support I need. Oh yeah. Well, you should relapse so you can have one of those. We're throwing twenty years away. Go ahead. That's the Long Island I see. That's a drink, pal. I already had my relapse drink. Solid, solely vanilla. That wasn't around. Okay. So they can have anything they want. White wine spritzer and something up inside you. You want to hurt them. You do. You do. Do something mean to them, but you resist that. Because you're thinking maybe they belted down a few at the bar or at home. They did something. Like you used to, right? And you're monitoring them. So you haul them to a meeting. And you sit there during dinner, and they sip, and they sip. That's the other thing. You know they're not alcoholic. If they sip. 22nd question. If you're opening a fifth, do you throw away the top? <laughs> of course you throw away the top. What the hell are you going to need it for? It's a fifth. If it was a quart at 3 o'clock in the morning, maybe you'd need the top. You know there are non-alcoholics that have had the same alcohol in their house for decades? And they don't even know that it's there? 
I mean, I don't think there's any alcohol in our home right now, but if there was, I'd know where it was, and I'd be talking to it. Hi, how are you? Are you okay? You need anything? <laughs> Dust you off? What do you want? Comfortable? <laughs> not sure I'm going to need you, but I might need you. You know, that's just my relationship with alcohol. They can have anything they want, and they're sipping this white wine spritzer all damn night, and that irritates you. I went to I went to a concert not long ago, and uh, this is a long time now, and the folks in front of me, as the music started, they started hitting that marijuana pipe. Now, I'm not a drug addict. I've never met a, a drug alcohol couldn't help, but I like to see people who abuse anything. And second cousins, they're fine. So, so these people just hit the pipe once, and then they never hit it again. And I missed the half, half the concert waiting for them to smoke more dogs. <laughs> They just wanted a little buzz. They just wanted to get two feet off the ground. They didn't want to get obliterated. The guys in back of me, they wanted to get obliterated. So, so now it's time to go to the movie, and you're starting to leave this table, and there's that much glass, that wine left in that glass, and, and you know you can't let this happen. You know you cannot let them walk away if there's still alcohol in the glass, because the difference, one of the differences between them and us is, is we go... They go, I- I'm done. And then they, they leave. We go, I'm done. Where are you doing? Right? That's what we do. So you want to you're just trying to say, well, okay, yeah, we got to go, but could you just finish your wine? Just, you know, you're trying to be as, as obscure as you possibly can be. And they go, no, I'm done with that. Yeah, but why don't you just do this? Why don't you just do a little bit delicious? Just kick it back and we'll go to the movie, all right? No, I'm finished. Just, look, just drink the drink, okay? Just drink. If I do that, I'll get sick. No, why not? I'll do your drink. <laughs> because nothing will irritate you more than a non-alcoholic drinking pattern. I, I am just bodily and mentally different from my fellows. And when I put that Ethel Alcanhell all in there, I just want more. And if there isn't more, I'll go get more. And if there's no more to be gotten, I'll find some more because there's always got to be some more. And there's never enough. And that's not a problem if I don't ever drink it. But then I have this brain that forgets. I, I have that guy. You guys the guy that talks to you, the guy that says, oh, that guy? He not only goes, ah, oh, he talks all sorts of ways. He says, oh, okay, you're almost 20 years old, but you're a very good person. You're a very good person. You've got a lot of meetings. You're spiritually healthy now. You've grown emotionally. We can have just one drink. We can have just one drink. How about one drink? Let's just have one drink. I mean, he talks to then I, I don't want to take a drink. Okay, let's have a non-alcoholic beer. Okay, let's just have a non-alcoholic beer. Let's try that. Now, this is just my opinion. I don't drink non-alcoholic beer. If you do, you're fine. It's no problem for me. But I don't because for me to drink a non-alcoholic beer is like to go to the House of Prostitution to listen to the piano player. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I'm going to tell myself I'm going to the box, the Mozart, but I'm going to get a room. <laughs> so, I, I that, and if you're new, he talks to newcomers differently. He goes, he goes, okay, 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 okay. Look, you got 90 days. You better drink soon, or you're going to get too much time, and you won't be able to drink anymore. <laughs> or he says things like, all right, maybe we're an alcoholic. Maybe, maybe we are. Maybe we are. All right, but this is what we got to do. Let's drink tonight. His plan is always to drink tonight. And if it doesn't work, we'll come back tomorrow. <laughs> now, if you drink like me, and you drink tonight, you can't guarantee where you're, you can't even guarantee you'll be on the ship tomorrow. <laughs> You'll be in St. Thomas going, how do I get to Barbados? <laughs> how do I get off this mountain? I don't know what kind of ghosts they are, but... 
No, they don't speak English. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> that just is a nightmare. I just flashed on what would happen if I relapsed on this boat and then went on an excursion. That would be a nightmare. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, I like you guys. You bond with me. That's good. We'll have a code of meeting later. So, anyway. I had to forget that for the way he tells me is you're, you're 12, 20 years old, you're 19, so he'll give me the 20. 20 in May, right? But I'm 19, but he's going to give me the 20. How about 20? Because that'll sound better for his argument. You're 20. You have just one drink. Just one drink. Let's just have one drink. We'll just try one drink. Now, if I ever, ever took that drink, the minute it went down my throat and hit my stomach, bam, he's over here going, you rotten loser, you. You just threw away 19 years, couldn't even make it to 20. 19 years. Right. Why don't you drink your miserable, rotten self to death? Now, if I could ever get them out in front of me, I'd go, you guys aren't consistent. And they'd go, we don't care. Our job is to kill you. <laughs> we don't even like you. Yeah. Certainly don't want to call your sponsor who does and talk to him. Talk to us. Sit down. Have a chair. So it's this brain, and it's this brain that you people have been doing a very good job working on. Uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the strange things. You know, sobriety is just different because, like I said, I have brought so many of my failures into AA going, you know, this is the one. They're all going to hate me. How stupid could I have been? I'm, I, a friend of mine says that in every book there's a chapter where you should be by now. <laughs> the chapter where you, and you're never there, you know, because it's always, I should have been better than that. I've been sober long enough to know better than that. Yes, you weren't. <laughs> but you didn't. You know what I mean? And so you're never there. Uh, I'll tell you my cruise story. Uh, uh, I've moved past this, but I went on a cruise not long ago. Uh, a couple, three, four, five years ago, I got married to a woman. Not the woman I'm married to today. Good bride. This is the bride from hell. Uh, and we decided to go on a cruise for a honeymoon. Sounds like a great idea, doesn't it? Don't do this. If you're going to get on, don't go on a cruise. Bad idea. Especially if it's a bad marriage. Don't go on a cruise. So, so you go to dinner, you're on the cruise, you go to dinner, and they go, oh, you're on your honeymoon. Why are you on a cruise? Then you go to bingo, and they go, you're on bingo. Why are you on a cruise? Why are you on a honeymoon? Why are you on a cruise? You watch the, Glacier go, you're on your honeymoon. Why are you watching the glacier? What they really mean is, you're on your honeymoon. Why aren't you in your room having sex like rabbits? And what you want to say is, because my wife is so regressed, she's calling for her mother and it doesn't turn me on. I mean, you know the honeymoon is going bad when you're looking for places to dump the broad, bride's body overboard, right? Now, on this particular cruise, the letter comes in and says, friends of Bill Wilson. So you know you're toxic, so you run down there. There's nobody there but you. You are the main speaker and the group conscience. Dangerous combination. <laughs> you're like, what should we do with her? Kill her? Yeah, hell yeah, kill her. A, you're in a natural water, they can't get you for it. I mean, it just wasn't going very well. Now, one of the things that happens is, I don't know if this happens to you, but what I tell some of the guys I work with to do always comes back in my mind. Because usually it's good advice. It's usually advice I've gotten from somewhere else. And somebody said, I have told guys for years, you go on a vacation, you want to have a good time, try to make sure your wife has good rock time. Try to make sure your kids have good time. Do something for them. Well, how will I know? Ask them, and they'll tell them what they'd like to do. You mean they really want to go? Yes, that's what they said. So they probably, that's what they want to do. So all of a sudden, all I knew was to be a servant. And uh, got through that. Got through an incredibly disappointing and hurtful time when you have all these expectations that something's going to go one way, and all of a sudden... It's another way. Now, there was a great explanation for that, and I'm not going to go into that because it's boring to me today, but i got to tell you that what happened that 16th year of my sobriety, and I, I, I don't know about you, but it's called the bomb goes off in my life. It's just something happens. In this case, I married a woman who happened to be having an affair when we got married. I mean, that's a showstopper right there. Uh, yeah, thank you for the 
laugh. I slash somebody. Laugh at that kind of pain. <laughs> That's the great thing about AA. You know, you start telling stories, and then people always want to hear your story. That story. I got speakers. Like, I just want to hear that particular story. And it's, it's very good. Yeah, remember when you were on the cell block, and they knifed you, and they cut you, and you bled? Yeah, tell that. It brings me so much joy. <laughs> no, leave out the part where they elected you best looking on the cell block. That was a great one. You, know, you, you leave anything out, they want to know why you left it out. We're like kids. We're going to say the story over and over. But uh, once I found this out, the bomb went off. I didn't get mad. I went mad. And, and I don't know what it will be for you. Maybe it will be something else. Maybe it will be your health, your children, I, I, your job. I don't know what it is. But for me, the bomb went off. You're sitting in your yard. Your life's not going very well. And all of a sudden, boom, there's the bomb. And, man, it is all gone. Your house is gone. Supermarket's gone. The town you live in is gone. It's all moon And you're sitting there naked with your hair on fire. Alan McGinnis said that one day... And Alcoholics Anonymous, we're going to get everything we ever came to Alcoholics Anonymous to get, or we're going to find out we're never going to get what we came to Alcoholics Anonymous to get. And then what are we going to do? And I think one of the things I came to Alcoholics Anonymous to get without knowing it was a secure world. A world that if you did good, good happened. See, I came to Alcoholics Anonymous thinking, do bad things, bad, good things should happen. Bad things, good things, bad things. Hey, guys say that to me today. You know, yeah, Steve, I spent all my money, I killed a chihuahua, I, I slept with a sister. How can she need me? There's that concept. Do bad things, good things should happen. Bad things, good things. Bad. And you guys told me, no, if you do good things, good things will happen. Good things, good things, good things. And somewhere around 15 or 16 years of surprise, doing good became God rather than God. And I thought, if you do good things, good things will always happen. And my lesson in this was you can do everything all right and it can turn out just as wrong as if you did it all wrong. And the only thing you have left is how you feel about it. So you're sitting there naked and your hair's on fire. What are you going to do? And after a while, when you get your bearings, you, you, you kind of walk down the street, and there's this, this building. In my, in my mind, it's Big Book Blue. It's a bomb crater. And you walk in there, there's a glass window, and there's these old guys in there. Now, they're still smoking, and this, this little bomb crater, they can smoke. Remember when you went to meetings, and if you could see the leader, you knew it was Al-Anon? You remember that? <laughs> remember when every room in an AA clubhouse was nicotine yellow? Remember that? You had to buy that pink from New York, I think. <laughs> I remember the clubhouse, it was nicotine yellow, but they painted it white, and it was the first time I realized you can't change anything on alcoholics because they bitch about it. They're all, for three weeks, I liked it better the way I was. So you walk up to this bomb shelter, and these old guys are playing pinochle and smoking cigarettes and having a meeting, and you knock on the door. Now remember, you're naked, your hair's on fire. Most people would go, oh, oh. they go, oh, yeah, come on in. You walk in the door, and they say, would somebody give Steve a blanket and put his hair on? Bomb went off, huh? Yeah. And all they did was laugh while I laughed and cried when I cried and let me heal. And the more I shared about my failure, the more people would come up and go, nobody went, what step were you on or your pickers broke or how could that happen at 16? Nothing that this guy told me they were going to do. Most of the time, somebody would say when I was really hurting, that happened to me too. And most of the time after I healed, the hurting person would come up and go, that happened to me too. How did you get through it? Because for me, what happened in that experience was I went to a place where I did not have the forgiveness in me. I knew I had to forgive. It was as clear as the day was long. The first day it happened that I had to forgive or become what I don't forgive. And yet it was impossible for me. I had been taken past the place where I had forgiveness and I had to be willing to accept forgiveness the same way as a gift, the same way I accepted sobriety. But being able to
be able to pass it on to somebody that had it. And I've talked to people that that happened to that 10 years later were still suffering. That's alcoholics anonymous. That's not me. That's not us. That's us. You know, that's us together. It's a place where one and one equals three. It's a supernatural program. It's a place where sometimes the failures are the most powerful message in the room. Because I know, I think I can stay sober as long as I'm hitting 21s in there. You know? If I go in that, if I go, man, if I go in that room tonight and hit all 21, I'm not going to think about drinking. But if I go in that room tonight and spend the next day and have to come back to the cabin to explain that to my wife, Patty, I'm going to think about drinking. So that's, that's, that's where that got me. And it, 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 that, that, that little soldier has continued on this, this, uh, knowing very deeply that I need to have this higher power with me all the time. You know, it's, it, I don't think you can do anything for 20 years all the same time. I think everybody kind of ebbs and flows. I've never stopped going to meetings. I don't think I've ever been to fewer than two meetings a week. Uh, but I certainly know that I've prayed more sometimes and prayed less. And it's like anything else in life, I'm a human being and it ebbs and flows. And this experience made me know at 16 years of sobriety that I need this higher power, this God of my understanding, even more than I ever thought I did. I, and, and prayer is a very strange thing. It, it's a very dangerous thing. It works. I remember... I was about eight years sober, and I was sitting in a stoplight, and I had a little Honda Tercel, not much of a car. So I'm sitting here, and this kind of very attractive woman pulls up right here. And then there's this really good-looking guy in a Jeep pulls up next to her there. And she ignores me and checks him out and drives off. So I start whining to God. Why didn't you check me out? I'm a good person. I should get checked out. You know, one of my unfavorite expressions in AA is if you're having trouble with God, think how much trouble God's having with you. God's not having any trouble with me. That expression just makes God my mother one more time. He needs a volume so he can deal with me. I, it's just not a problem, you know. God has no problems with me. He doesn't go, oh, I was having a great day till Steve Wardner got up. You know, I'm the one with the problem. So I'm start sniveling, and he doesn't put me on hold. A couple days later, I'm in Ralph's. I'm in the supermarket. I'm in the vegetable section. I've got two cantaloupes in my hands, which I think was a precursor to what was about to happen. I got these cantaloupes in my hand, and I look up, and this really beautiful, attractive blonde woman is checking me out. Now, I'm not really clear all the time when women are flirting with me. It's like, she goes past me without me, but she's not making it very obvious. She is, it's like she's running me through the tech stand. I'm getting checked, you know? And she's liking what she was seeing, and then she just walks off. And I'm like, yeah, prayer works. Thank you, God. I got checked out. That's terrific. Wow, I'm going to ask for more stuff. <laughs> I'm sure it'll help a newcomer somewhere that I got checked out. I'm, I can qualify this prayer. And then I realized something. And then she walked off, and I realized I still had to do my shopping. That I was going to run into this woman aisle after aisle after aisle. And that she would perhaps continue to check me out. Perhaps the next time she checked me out, she wouldn't like me as much as she did the first time. Perhaps I wouldn't be at the right angle. And I got so stressed out. I started looking around corners. I want to leave the market before I've done any shopping. But by the time I get to the checkout counter, I'm going, please, God, I don't ever want to be checked out again. I don't know what you beautiful people do, knowing that they're looking at you all the time. I would be totally hell up. <laughs> so you got to be very careful what you wish for. The other thing I was saying how failure works, uh, about nine years before this Friday, I'd gone back to church because the Dirty Rotten Stinking Book had suggested it, and uh, and I was going to go to Sunday school class, and it was uh, playoff season, and even God takes some chance, time off from uh, 
church at 12. So I was going to go to early service and I go to early class and they don't have, you know, there's only three legal drugs in AA, tobacco, white sugar, and caffeine, and I'm going to abuse those as long as I can. So, you know, at church they usually have that little instant coffee and I need the brewed stuff, so I'm going to stop at 7-Eleven and get some unstepped on coffee so I can free taste it a little bit before I go to church and worship this higher power. <laughs> and the top of sugar donuts usually helps me get in the mood, too. <laughs> Very Pentecostal Presbyterian. So, anyway, and, you know, stupid, 7-Elevens just, just are the most irritating place. So I've got my change in the pocket, so I put the change in the pocket, walk off to my car, and this guy's chasing me. And he walks up to the car, and he looks at me, and he goes, I'm about to buy the ship, but the thing's over, I'm the thing's well, already he's irritating me, you know. He's in the country five minutes, he's got a 7-Eleven, I'm born here, I got focus, all right? But what I realized was, he was telling me I didn't pay for that cup of coffee. Now, so I give him the 60 cents, and I say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't pay for the cup of coffee. He goes, I'm ship it Walks off. I'm nine years sober, on my way to church, and all of a sudden, the veil comes down, I'm there before I'm there, I pull my car in the cup. Good year, I pull back up into that parking space. I get out and say, hey, you, just being helpful and kind in all my affairs. Hey, you, come here. I said, I told you I paid for that cup of coffee. He said something. I said something. He said something. I played the alcoholic trunk card. I want to talk to the manager. He goes, I'm the manager. None. So I want to really put my hand in his chest and pull his beating heart out of it at this moment before I go to church. And so, but I exit, you know, I exit. And, and on my church, in my car is my Bible. Now I have a prop. More dangerous than a drinking alcoholic is a sober alcoholic with a prop. I go back in that 7-Eleven. The guy's on the other end. I go, hey, you. He turns around and I go, I told you I didn't steal that cup of coffee. <laughs> his eyes got bigger out. I think in his head he was going, oh, crazy man has nice leather book. That's nice. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, man. Bye-bye. So I leave there, the angels in heaven now not looking at Calcutta, but looking at me. Bravo, Steve, you spiritual midget, you. And I go to church, and the dirty, rotten, stinking pastor, I think my sponsor called him, is getting something like a dirty, rotten, stinking AA talk, and I got to work the dirty, rotten, stinking tenth step or die with a big, fat liver out here. Because you give me 24 hours, I don't have to apologize. You give me 48 hours, it's your fault. They put that word promptly in there just for me. So I get back in my car and I drive back. You ever notice how big you are when you leave these things and how small you are when you act the lollipop kill, the lollipop kill? <laughs> I walk back in that 7-Eleven. His eyes get bigger out. Oh, no, crazy man back. Oh, I did something very bad in previous life. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> bad karma. It looks like Steve Bordner. That's who it is. And I put my hand out and I said what I have said a bazillion times in sobriety. Not so often recently, but still. I'm sorry for saying what I said the way I said. He put his hand down and said, don't worry about it. You know, I don't go to that 7-Eleven anymore, but I used to when I, I just worked for that church. And uh, he and I would sit down, and his wife had popped out a couple of kids, and we'd have a cup of coffee, and we'd sit down and scratch and tell each other a few lies. And he became my friend because I was an alcoholic with a bad al- 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 attitude and worked the dirty, rotten, stinking tenth step, and one and one equals three. I, I had to do an amend when I first got sober. I had stolen one of those lumberjack jackets from, you know, Target or Kmart or one of those expensive stores. And 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 my sponsor said, you know, I said, but it's written. No, I said that their their inventory was not my problem. That I had to make the amend. So I go in this, this Kmart, I guess, and I I'm asking, can I speak to the manager? And this is 70. This is 80. 
and 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 the woman, I can swear she went, manager to desk, manager thief here, doing it a man. Let's get it out of here. <laughs> supper, we don't want this kind of people. Please, sure. <laughs> and and I, I'm looking at my shoes, and, and all of a sudden these little, these, this is in South Carolina now, right? These little shiny shoes show up with polyester pants, little white shirt with pens and the plastic neck. I'm looking at Bubba. You gotta be Southern, then. It's Bubba. And I'm going, you know, couldn't he have given me somebody from the record department who knows who T-Rex is? Somebody, you know? Hip. And, and I go, I'm sorry, I stole from you, don't put me in jail, I didn't mean, I was, I took, I'm, I'm bringing back, please forgive, and, and I'm sorry. And, and I'll do whatever I can, I'd like to give you some money. And he looked me in the eye and he went, you're gonna really mess up my inventory. I mean, that's the lesson, you know, you're carrying the cross of Calvary, and they go, put it down, nobody wants you to carry it. And uh, my sponsor told me what to do. I said, okay, could I give the money to charity? And he said, yeah. And I don't remember which charity he named. And I said, fine, I'll donate that to charity. As I walked out, he said, hey, you. I turned around, you know, I'm doing this, knowing this is it. <laughs> and he looked me in the eye and he said, I don't know what happened to you, but I am so glad that it happened. Here's this man, contempt prior to investigation, who I can still see him in my eyes. It's the only time I ever saw him. I can still feel that connection. You know, it says somewhere in the literature that we are very lonely and isolated people, and the steps are a way for us to reconnect back into life. And there was a non-alcoholic. This was the first time I think I found what I found in the rooms of AA in a non-alcoholic. He was just such a kind and loving man, and he didn't have to say that. And I walked away from doing that step the way I, I felt like I walked away from a lot of steps. Clean. And this higher power sitting right there, and I keep forgetting. I was with some guys on retreat, and I I'll finish with this. I said, so guys on some retreat, and we were practicing this very presence, putting God, practicing the presence of God. We're up in the mountains, right? And we had written some letters to God, and I wanted to Xerox them all off for the guys, and we were on break. So I'm going down the hill to do this, and, and I just come off of two days of retreat. I'm so blissed out, I get on this one-lane highway with this old man in front of me. All of a sudden, I start tailgating him. Uh, Alan McGinnis said that, that, you know, uh, uh, let the tailgater pass is quantum physics for the alcoholic. We don't know that. See, we have to learn that here. Most people know let the tailgater pass, not us. We do one of two things with the tailgater. We either, we either, we either slow down so that their eyes get real red and their head explodes, or, or we let them pass and then we tailgate them, right? But, but just letting them go on their way and out of our lives, who would think of that, you know? How do they think of these things? So all of a sudden, I'm getting around this guy, and then I thought, what have we been, I thought, maybe that's God driving the car. And all of a sudden, it changed. I thought, well, if it was God, he's very old, so that's why he drives very slowly. And he's got nowhere to go, because he's eternal. And if I tailgate him, he might hit me with a tsunami. So I better back off. Right? Because, you know, I really don't want to tailgate God. He's been very nice to me, and let me give him some space. And all of a sudden, as I backed off of that car, I realized, wow, there's trees out there. And, and there's Big Bear Lake, and the sun is shining, and it's a nice day, and I got nowhere to go, and the top is down, and what am I in such a hurry for? Where am I going? Uh, when I get angry today, at Christmas time, I don't know about you, crowds, I had that happen today. It seems to me, not just alcoholics, everybody must stand exactly where you, they must stand in that doorway. They can't stand off of the doorway, they must stand in the doorway. And so when I get around people, all of a sudden, this reaction comes up, and it's like, would you cut some people a break? I practiced that all during the Christmas season. God, they're God, they're God, they're God, they're God, they're God, they're God. And sometimes when I forget they're God, and forgetting that they're God reminds me I'm trying to pretend they're God. What would I do for them? Uh, 
this gift that you guys have got given me, this, this ability that there's a higher power, and that sometimes the higher power is a shaking newcomer, and sometimes it's a hurt and old timer, and sometimes it's just the person I haven't met, sometimes it's the person that calls that never calls back. That, see, I keep trying to figure out how it's supposed to work and, instead of just doing what's in front of my nose. And to keep coming back to that simply lets my life be so much better. I, uh, I want to thank you for uh, being the free dinner whatever. Uh, I hope you all have a great cruise. It's a tremendous thing to do. Uh, I, I certainly uh, am very grateful and pleased to be here, and I will leave you with the story I always leave with, which is yours now. It's a drunk. It's not the third step. Drunk's coming home one day, and he's sick, and he's hurting, and he's tore up because he's been on a run, and he runs into God. And God gets up, and he's in, he's in his hand, and the drunk goes, what's that? And God goes, this, 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 this is right. And the drunk goes, man, I need that. Wow, how much does it cost? Because the drunk only understands buying stuff. He doesn't understand free gifts. And God goes, well, being manipulative. God goes, uh, how much you got? And the drunk goes, well, I got about $50. And, and he goes, okay, man, I'll give you $50. I'll give you $50. And he said, God goes, well, for you, yeah, this money costs about $50. And the drunk goes, wait a minute. If I give you all $50, I won't have any gas for my car. God goes, oh, you have a car. Oh, oh. Well, I'm sorry. I didn't know that because then sobriety is going to cost you the $50 and your car. He goes, wait a minute. If I give you my car, how will I get to my job? God goes, oh, you have a job? Oh, well, sobriety costs you your job. He says, wait a minute. If I give you my job, how will I pay for my house? A home. You have a home. I, I, I thought you were in the cardboard box down by the railroad track. No, 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 no. Sobriety costs you your home. He says, well, what will I do with my wife and my kids? A family. You have a family. You know, your list is completely out of date. Uh, uh, sobriety costs you your family. And the drunk goes, what good is my life? And God goes, that's right. Sobriety costs you your life. And because the drunk is at that magic moment of surrender and is just willing enough, he cuts the deal with God and gives him his, his money and his car and his house and his job and his wife and his kids and his daddy gives him sobriety. And then he looks him deep in the eye and he says, all right, I'm going to give you your money back, but it's not your money anymore, it's my money, but you get to spend it for me. I'll give you your car back, it's not your car anymore, it's my car. And I want some drunks capable of throwing up in it. Because you got a car too good to throw up in, you got a car that's too good for a sober alcoholic. <laughs> it's my car, but you're going to drive it for me. I'm going to give you your job back, but your job isn't about being somebody or doing anything, but being something like me to the people you work with, because it's not your job, it's my job, you're going to work it for me. I'm going to give you your house back, it's not your house anymore, it's my home. You're going to live it for me. I'm going to give you your, your kids back and your wife back, you know, but based on your behavior, they have a right never to talk to you again, but I'm going to give them back to you because it's not your family, it's my family. You're going to take care of them for me. I'm going to give you your life back, and it's never your life ever again. It's my life, but you're going to live it for me. That's the deal I believe that this loving creator gets cut with all of us in the third step. I am a man much most richly blessed, and by the grace of God, the fellowship of the Alcoholics Anonymous, and people like you in lots of places all over the world, I am in an organization where if I just throw the pebble of my life into the water, one and one, almost inevitably equals three. So please keep coming back. Thanks for letting me share. I really didn't know that was